episode 26 of The Cast of Call, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my quartet, the one and only DJ. I think that's how you introduce people, right? Yeah, I gotta do like... (laughs) (laughs) Single clap, clap, clap. Yes. Well, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, DJ, but I don't know if you saw in the notes, but we got our first bad review on iTunes. What? <laughs> so before we get to that, uh, let's talk about the plan for the episode. Although I guess I haven't even asked, how are you doing? How What have you been up to, Deej? I've been traveling. I think I've been around the world since the last time we talked. I was in oh Greece gosh. and uh, um, hit the islands and was in Crete for a little while and then uh, was in Vegas and then I was in Sacramento, and now I'm back home again. So Wow, that really went down in excitement with each subsequent locale. You're like, the islands of Greece. I hate Vegas. Vegas. Sacramento. Actually, <laughs> I think Sacramento is nicer than Vegas. Got to go stay on the King, what is it, the Delta King, and, uh, you know, walk around the Old Town Sack and, like, go to the pinball bar, coin op. Yeah. Um, Lots of good stuff in Sac. I do love Sacramento. I shouldn't. I should. I actually specifically Old Town Sacramento, like New Sacramento, eh, but Old Town Sacramento definitely has a lot of charm. Basically, uh, from the capital down to Old Town, you you got a good, pretty pretty good strip there. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh. Well, that's awesome. Um, did you have fun in Greece? Yes, it was great. Um. Uh. Yeah, I don't have anything to say about it other than it's great. <laughs> You know, islands, uh, <laughs> sunshine, and and weird. Apparently, there's a, a religious holiday um, that I wasn't aware of, where everybody lights candles and walks around at night. And we did that. It was great. That sounds awesome. Well, yeah, I fireworks went... at like two in the morning. What about you, Rachel? Well, I went to your former hometown of Portland since the last time we talked. Nice. And yes, I love Portland. It's such a cool city. It's such a pretty place. Like it's like if San Francisco was not. Covered in garbage. <laughs> so, I mean, like, it's my city. I shouldn't talk shit about it, but it is pretty filthy. No, we've seen anyway. people, like, pop a squat and poop in the middle of the street. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad it's not just a San Francisco treat. <laughs> anyway, so that's what I've been up to. Um, so, plan for this episode. Uh, this week, we're going to continue our journey through the Wastelands with an in-depth conversation about the Wastelands. Book one, Jake. Fear and a Handful of Dust, Chapter 3, Door and Demon, Sections 1 through 15. Before we get started on all that goodness, DJ, can you remind our listeners about our spoiler policy? As usual, we walk up to the line, but we never cross it. We will let you know when we are going to cover something that may spoil the rest of the books forever. Until then, we're just going to cover <laughs> the 1 through 15 of the sections that Rachel just mentioned. So be warned, we will warn, and so on. Yeah, it's going to be hard for me. The very last section, I have a lot of failings about that have to do with things that happened, happened uh, soon. I know, uh, and I can say <laughs> this because it's not a spoiler, but like, I was like, ooh, Billy Bumbler. Oh, that part's good. I'm, I was talking about um, things that make me mad. Oh. <laughs> we'll get there, though. I might have to have a minor, like, spoiler warning when we get to the last section, just because I have to, like, <laughs> vent my feelings. I have a lot of fifis this week. Just warning listeners now. <laughs> so, um, we got some new iTunes reviews. Oh. Yes, as I mentioned, we got our first bad one, which 
honestly, like, at first I was like, oh, no. But then at the same time, whenever we get good ones, I'm like, oh, no, that's too nice. So this should, like, balance our chi a little bit if we get good and bad, right? <laughs> no? <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, I, I'm wondering. I saw a few comments about the uh, uh, my rose hate, so. <laughs> <you know>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. People have. I was actually kind of surprised. People have really strong feelings about roses. I know. I thought you were were in the minority in terms of like having a feeling about. Like I feel like it's so am, like rose ambivalent. I didn't know that the passion, like of either like disliking or supporting the rose, was so intense. But the hot- rose is like getting the tattoo in the middle of your back, just above your butt. It's like at one point it was what everybody thought of as a good th- good idea, and then it's, it's not aging well. Exactly. And that, <laughs> Ask ask around. I, I'm completely on an island here, so I don't know. <laughs> but the point is, I mean, like, you know, you're if when you start getting strong reactions, that means you're like you're hitting the hot topics, you know, like we're really mixing it <laughs> up. <laughs> oh, so which do you want? Good good review or bad review first? Let's go with the bad review. Okay. It's really short. <laughs> Fortunately. Uh okay. So this one, no title, comes from Cog Drizzle 12. <laughs> Which, I mean, that sounds like a dirty name, but okay. Um, it's hard for me not to like anything Dark Tower related. Uh oh. <laughs> but DJ is the actual worst! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bud. I'm sure you're actually a great guy. I can attest it's true, he is a great guy. But you rarely seem to know what you're talking about. And for you. Three stars, though. He gave us three stars. <laughs> That's fine. I, I rarely do know what I'm talking about. I'm generally just, like, digging deeper than I probably should. I mean, to be honest, like, I don't think we've ever said that we are, like, scholars of Dark Tower. We're just, like, nerds who want an excuse to, like, hang out and talk about it. So, <laughs> so like, the criticism is totally fair. Like, it's totally yep. legitimate. Not that, that you don't know anything, but, like, you know, like, if people have criticism... It's fair. Sorry. No, I've only read through the entire series twice and I'm, you know, pushing 40. So if I, if I have forgotten a few things, that's probably because I've also had a few drinks. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Okay. So that was our first bad review. Thank you very much. Cog drizzle 12. Uh, we'll take on board your criticism. I don't know how constructive it was, but I'm still willing to hear you. Um, fortunately we have a, we have a really nice um, review and um, and I, I especially, I mean, just the title alone brings joy to my heart. The title for this one from Minnesotan Exmo is Out Nerding Nerds. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very seen by that title. <laughs> All right. So here's what Minnesotan Exmo had to say. He said, I have a learning disability, dyslexia, with, that makes reading, comprehending, and spelling very hard for me. It's so bad that I can read a paragraph and I won't remember it. But in my late 20s, I discovered Harry Potter. I devoured those books. I thought I had cracked my brain's code and I could now read. But sadly, that wasn't true. <laughs> I hear you, brother. Um, after many different books, a friend introduced me to the gunslinger. I was a little scared looking at the cover. It's a Western. Look how small the letters are. At least Stephen King had put some pictures in it. <laughs> <laughs> cool ones, too. Were all the things I said to my friend. But all he said was, trust me. Trust me, Ryan. Oh, we know his name now. Trust me, Ryan. 
Uh, well, from that first line, I was hooked. So much after reading the books, I got the audiobooks just in case I missed anything. And yes, I did. But there's another humbler. I did realize how much I missed in general until, or I didn't realize how much I missed in general until I listened to this podcast. Rachel and DJ are fantastic at helping me, you, others read around the many quarters. See what I did there? Uh. And help, uh-huh. And help you see the deeper stuff that's going on and help explain the big picture in a way that's easier to understand. I started listening to the audiobooks again. I usually do this once or twice a year. Uh, but this time I'm going along with DJ and Rachel. Sorry about the pace. <laughs> Super cool. And the best part of it is it's nice to know that there are bigger nerds out there than me. Love the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, I think that's a fair, also very fair criticism. We are huge nerds. Although I don't really take it as a criticism. I, I'm sort of flattered. Uh, it's that. more of like a flag now. You just carry with you. <laughs> you let your nerd flag fly high? little badge I wear on my shoulder that says, yes, I have a TI-89 <laughs> with me at all times. What is a TI-89? The the graphing calculator from the... Oh, bless you. I love from... you so much, TJ. <laughs> I, I have a, a TI-89 graphing calculator emulator for both of my phones. So that when I do not have my physical TI-89 with me, I have the functionality of my TI-89 on my phone screen. And it works the same way. You have to touch the function button and the second button in order to get to other functions and so on. (laughs) I remember, like, when there was, like, you got to that class where they're like, you need to have this graphing calculator. And I was like, oh, nope, this is too much math for me. (laughs) Uh, It's independent study it is. Okay, (laughs) bye-bye. Like, if you need a graphing calculator, it's, 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 reached my my math ceiling <laughs> i wish that wasn't true though like i kind of feel like if i could have any superpower it would be to be really good at math that's overrated i feel like you can crack the code dude like you understand the mysteries of the universe <laughs> <laughs> it is like basically the real life version of the of the rose and you the, get past it, calculus and now you're stephen hawkins is that what you're telling me <laughs> i said superpowers so i'm like really good at math <laughs> Uh, yeah so yes i want to be stephen hawkins Hmm. yeah okay all right anyway moving on (laughs) so thank you everyone for those wonderful reviews even the bad ones to like like i said i get embarrassed when they're too good so there was a little bit of like oh good someone doesn't like us which i think maybe says more about me than i should share um i mean i think they actually like you rachel i think it's uh uh, me (laughs) that is obnoxious (laughs) I mean, I'm to be honest, like I actually feel like that criticism. I feel like you know more than I do. Like I think it's actually I was surprised that they felt that way about you when I feel like I'm the one that's always like, I don't understand. <laughs> so, but whatever. Thank you so much for your reviews. If you would like to let us know how you feel about the fe- the podcast, please do leave us a review on iTunes and we will read them on the show as promised, even the bad ones. So, if you guys all have a lot of burning hatred for me, you have been waiting to express now is your moment, my friend. <laughs> We're going to come back real sad when there's like 25 one-star reviews. Yeah, I take it back. Five stars only. Kay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we dig into the reading? Absolutely. Let's get started. So right. where we left off, guys, if you don't remember, is that uh, Jake was basically falling asleep and he was having uh, the brain brain drain damage of, you know, two split timelines. He mm-hmm. grabs the key and suddenly he feels better. Uh, and this is back to the psychic bond between uh, Eddie and Jake. And he basically, I don't know, psychically tells 
Eddie to grab the key and give it to Roland, and this will help his uh, uh, disturbing behavior. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so Eddie – and th- there's actually some good um, uh, uh, description in here. When, they, when he actually hands Roland the key, he describes it as though it were a sword coming out of a rock, which I, I thought was kind of interesting. And then gives it to Roland. Roland starts to feel better and clasps in his hand and like is basically not cured, but uh, but in a much better state than he was. Meanwhile, Eddie still hasn't finished the actual key yet, and it's (laughs) sort of a daunting task for him that he's um, leery of completing. And this is almost an excuse to get it out of his hands. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hmm. I mean, I, I summarized that pretty short for that little section. Rachel, do you have anything to add? I see three stars. Well, first of all, I, I have a question for you. So I'm just doing – I ask you this question regularly. It's the same question I always ask you. But have have you felt like through all of the description and watching the toll that it has taken on Roland, how do you feel about this like mind-splitting thing? Do you still think he should have like – been able to handle it or are you kind of like okay i'm on board with this now i'm still i'm still not on that train um (laughs) if like a uh, a (laughs) pre-high school kid can battle through it then i feel as though a grizzled i've murdered an entire town with my bare hands gentleman (laughs) should be able to like I don't know. But what about time dilation? Like, doesn't, isn't, like, doesn't time move slower in Midworld? So, like, if Jake's been dealing with it for a month, Roland's been dealing with it for, like, two months? Well, hold on, hold on. So, the time dilation is actually not really, well, I I suppose, but... <laughs> the, okay, so both of them have their own observed time. Yes, the times run at different paces. Okay, fine, I'll agree with that. Uh, has he experienced it for longer? I suppose. However, it doesn't mean that the intensity wouldn't. Why would the intensity change? That's the. It's not the, intensity. It's just like attrition. You know, like it's he's been dealing with it longer. He's been holding on to his sanity like with his freaking toenails longer i guess so actually for me when eddie's about to hand him the key and show uh both of them that he's been work what he's been working on and his brother sort of like nags at him and -hmm. tells him that he's a disappointment and that no one will like that and they're gonna make fun of you that internal dialogue feels more legitimately unnerving to me hmm. than R- Roland's description of time. And, and I know that it's meant to be more uh, detrimental to Roland and to Jake. However, when I read this, there's less poignancy in Stephen King's descriptions that make me feel like Eddie is actually suffering more than Roland is in his mental anguish. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, there's not enough descriptions of like what's going on in Roland and Jake's head to make me be like, yeah, oh man, that sucks. It's like, especially for Roland, it's just kind of like he hits his his uh, head on the you know a couple times and he like drives his palms into his forehead, but he doesn't have the voice that's like yelling at him and telling him he's a loser or he can't do anything or you know what I'm saying interesting like, i guess i don't feel like 
I feel like if it's that important, there should have been more conflict built up, like a split Roland that's like screaming at him, "You killed Jake! You, you're a piece of crap! You know you're gonna make the wrong choice. This right. is all gonna fail." And instead, we just kind of get this like a groaning sick person in the corner. Gotcha. So you feel like Stephen King's doing a little too much telling and not enough showing when it comes to Roland. Exactly. Okay. All right. That's fine. Am I wrong? I, I'm, I mean, no. Wrong. It's a it's an opinion. You can't be wrong. Like <laughs> you feel how you feel, and I I receive it. <laughs> I mean, I personally, I have a lot more empathy for him, um, and I have less empathy for Eddie as we get closer to the end of the section, but we'll get there. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, if the, I just was, I just wanted to do, test the waters, we're like, almost at the end of it, and I was wondering, like, if it, if it ever sold for you, and it sounds like the answer is no. <laughs> I, so I guess, like, you could have sold, sold me on this if you'd have gone with maybe, like, the lack of REM sleep has started to rot his right. mind inside out or something, you know. So, like, the mystical stuff isn't landing. Like, you need things that you can, like, personally relate to. Well, it could be, it can be a little bit mystical, but you can't magic away everything. You, it's this, it's a sci-fi trope. Like, oh, well, gotcha. we landed on another planet and everybody speaks English. Well, you wave your magic wand and, like, there's a fish you stick in your ear or a shot you get in your <laughs> leg and, like, suddenly nanites are taking care of everything. Well, that's fine until you have another plot where, like, why didn't you just use those things that you used at the very beginning to explain away this other thing? Gotcha. Okay, fair enough. I just wanted, like I said, I just wanted to check in and see if it ever worked. Um, okay, so... As far as things from this section, there were a couple of little things that I picked up on. Um, the first one is just like the Eddie talks about how when he's like approaching him after hearing the voice of Jake for the first time ever, Roland doesn't hear him coming. And it sort of illustrates to you like exactly what bad shape he's in. And he even like goes so far as to make the comparison to when he was just like racked with fever in um, the previous book, how like even then he had some level of like situational awareness and it illustrates like what bad shape he's in. Right. And I was thinking about just like these, the, the last two books, the first like third of the book has been about breaking down Roland like the first one like in book two it was him being physically broken and in this one it's all like this mental breakdown and I'm kind of wondering like I don't think it's a coincidence that we've started these two books this way like what the purpose of this is like is it is is Roland trying to kind of like set up stakes so that we like feel like because Roland has built up as like this mythical character like we have to break him in order for there to be tension or do you think it's like he's trying to make space for the quartet or what do you I mean or do you think it's just coincidence I don't know what do you think about this well I, th I think your second statement about making space for the quartet is right it's like okay. the, the the master becomes the like secondary character in his own story as mm. he slowly builds his threesome of actual fighters and, and you know by establishing that Roland's like lost physical capacity and that moment in the previous book where he hands his guns over right you know that's basically like the divesting of the old guard and handing over to the new guard and this is to me a continuation of that as we move closer to Jake and even the bonding so in in the last book, we established this almost um, not quite psychic bond, but definitely a, a, a very strong bond between Eddie and Roland. 
Right. And now that bond is starting to build between Jake and Eddie. Interesting. And that Jake and Eddie bond is like, so if Jake is a pivotal character and Roland killed him in the past, it's almost as though Jake will usurp him in the future. I just had a thought. It's interesting that like all of these characters have to be inside one another. That is true. That is- I mean, not not so much Jake, fortunately, but like I don't. I mean, not that I recall, but like Roland has been inside the mind of like all of these people, or and then Al Eddie is like inside the mind of people, and like him and his wife are, you know, there's some well, but- inside. Go- like they, there is like this extra layer of connection to these people that like you never have you don't really have with people in general like where you can actually walk in their shoes and that creates like this really incredible bond like i don't know i don't i have to like this is just kind of coming to me so like i have not fleshed these ideas out and like i may discard them later but like i just as you were talking about that i was just like wow like the the degree to which these people are in each other like metaphorically or physically like it's kind of i don't know I would argue that Jake is sort of inside of Eddie's head. Yeah, um, so, very much. Uh, you know, and vice versa. Exactly. And and as we get to the little, the next little section of of Jake's dream, like it becomes even more apparent that those two are starting to bond on like a psychic level. Yeah. And I don't know. Um, I don't know if I'm you know putting too much on it that Jake's usurping Roland, but. I, and I don't want to go any further than that, so I'm stop. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I mean, I definitely feel like what we're seeing is like independent bonds away from Roland being formed. Whether that's like Susanna and Eddie having these moments of like where they're just like so grateful that for the other person, and now like Roland is not even though Roland and and Jake have this shared experience of like having their minds broken in the same way around the same paradox it's actually Eddie and Jake that are having this like mental connection. It's kind of interesting because it like, it basically sets them apart as their own little subset from Roland. Well, not to mention the fact that Jake is basically the, the savior of Roland in this part of time mm-hmm. or in this time where he's like falling apart. Interesting. Especially considering Roland would like let him die. Exactly. So it's, yeah. um, that's almost the, uh, uh, Easter, um, mythos being played in this. Hmm. Oh, I don't I want to put too much. Uh, that's oh, I see. Godhead it's the sacrifice of the sun, kind exactly. of. Exactly. Interesting. Wow, we are really going all over the place. Okay, so a couple other things before we move on. Um, <laughs> I did like that there was a little mythology building in this. We got the phrase "the clearing at the end of the path," mm-hmm. um, which has some resonance because there's a lot of there's like a lot of clearings in this section, um, and then also I as I was I started writing all these notes about how Jake is like being shaped by two fathers and yada yada and i realized that like as like it, at large these books are so very much about like how we are shaped by childhood trauma because i started thinking about how like eddie's childhood has shaped who he is and how roland's childhood has shaped who he is in terms of like the stuff as like be, becoming a gunslinger young and having the experience of seeing his mother cuckolding his father, like all these traumas. I mean, obviously we're all a product of the, our childhood upbringing, but like mm-hmm. that Stephen King is choosing to write about that. And that like 
time and time again, we keep going back to the well about how these childhood traumas are shaping them currently in this moment. Like around Eddie with his, you know, his he's able to kick heroin. He's able to leave New York behind, but like he can't let go of the trauma of all of the abuse that came from Henry, like cutting him down, all the mental, emotional abuse of Henry is still mm-hmm. with him. It's still shaping his behavior right now. And that, that that's true of like all of these characters at the same time, we're also watching, like I said, Jake be shaped by two different fathers. Like in these sections, we see like the man that <clears throat> that that uh, Elmer was trying to make him become versus the man that he wants to be with Roland. It's very the childhoods of all of these characters, even our adult characters, are like shockingly present in these books. Well, Susanna, um, I mean, getting hit in the head with a brick exactly. as a child, like that's exactly that's my point. Like. I mean, how often do you have, like, a group of adults where we spend this much energy and time talking about their childhoods and, like, basically working through the issues of their childhood? And it made me think about, um, I recently went to this drag show, which was amazing, but uh, <laughs> of Sasha Valor, and she was talking about how, like, growth is cyclical and, like, it's not this linear sort of thing like you double back you you return to old traumas and you work through them over time and i won't get into how that resonates big picture but it like it made me realize that like this the fact that they're constantly returning to these traumas and working through them kind of reminded me of um of what what Sasha Valor had said and it made me think like maybe these are intentional choices by Stephen King to like show how we constantly dip back into the well of our childhood trauma and then in order to move forward in order to be like reach um some level of success we have to be able to kind of push through those things and address them and move through them you so. make me want to go revisit Paris is Burning. <laughs> oh, I love Paris is Burning. Oh, it's oh, it's when so reveal... depressing and so so yes. like uh, one person takes over the household after the other person dies and so on and so forth. Or when they like reveal that the the um ext- what's her name extravaganza had been murdered. I was yeah. Like, oh, such a great documentary though. Anyway, I'm sorry. Anyway, <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> so I agree. There's a lot of childhood stuff in this, and like it is sort of um, um, a circle, so to speak. Yeah, you know, maybe a, a wheel almost. Yeah, uh, like a wheel of caw, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving on. Okay. Um, Jake, we we left off with Jake in a dream state uh, as he like mentally sends the psychic beams to to have Roland hold the key, and now we hop into Jake's dream. He's he's vividly dreaming. Uh, about walking through a forest, he kind of finds his way into a clearing, and that clearing happens to be the death zone of all of those little robotic creatures that used to take care of the big bear. And mm-hmm. they're, they're laying around in pieces, and there is sort of a, I guess, a young Eddie, like just yeah. kind of hanging out, um, playing basketball, mm-hmm. and t- talking to Jake and telling him, I don't, it's almost weird. It's like he's ignoring him. But he's talking to him matter-of-factly as though yeah. if the dream version of him looks at Jake, then it'll screw up Eddie's timeline as well. So mm-hmm. he's telling him these things like, you need to go to Co-op City and watch out for my brother. If he sees you, it could be bad and, and so on. And and then Jake starts to ask him a few questions and he sort of like dissipates into the ether mm-hmm. while sort of telling Jake – to think about Co-op City and that he'll be easy to find and just take 
the train and so on. And mm-hmm. and that's kind of like a, a a good foreshadowing there. And then uh <laughs> you know, he's he's looking at the um I think, or well, Rachel, correct me if I'm wrong because uh, this chapter is a little jumbled in my head. But is mm-hmm. this where he starts uh, thinking about the uh, the riddle about what has a mouth but has no head? Well, or no, J- has... uh, Eddie tells him the answer to the riddle. Is oh is yeah, yeah, okay, okay, you're yeah. right. So th- this is where he, he revisits the riddle that he heard in the the little bookshop slash coffee shop from previous. Mm-hmm. And so the answer is the river. But remember in the coffee shop, they told him that there are actually two meetings to yes. the riddles. Yes. And what is the second meaning? I don't remember. Do you remember? I don't. <laughs> I'm guessing we're going to find out, but I will I, say that I thought that like, there's definitely some symbolic there's some literal, there's literal things in this dream. And this is the thing about these dream sequences. Again, we have like a mix of literal, metaphorical, and like metaphorical that actually is going to turn out to be literal. Well, and to to actually illustrate that, I, I almost forgot, Jake like trips and skins yeah. his knees up. And then when he wakes up, his knees are skinned. Ooh. Ooh. So there's a couple of quick things like Roland uses a phrase in the last section. I mentioned the uh, clearing at the end of the path and then immediately we go into Jake's dream or Eddie and Jake's dream where he is in a clearing like off a path. And I think that that is intentional, um, like intentional mirroring. And I, so I was thinking about like, because clearing at the end of the path refers to death. It like brought me back to the idea of tarot cards from the last book and how like the death card can mean literal death, which I think is something that's definitely hanging over um, this group if they're unable to, like, work out their key issues. But I also think, if you think about the meaning of the tarot card for death, it also means new beginnings. And so I think this is one of those, like the card itself, a little bit of a double-edged sword in that, like, or or not a double-edged sword, but, like, um, like they're on a precipice. Like, it can go one way or the other in terms of... um, it can either end up in death or it can end up in a new beginning. And I believe there was a death card in the tarot. Actually, I know for a fact there was a death card in the, um, in the palaver. And he said like, there's death, but not for you. And I do think that in that case, he was literally talking about Jake. He was literally talking about potential things in the future, but also, um, and yeah, in, big scale stuff as well um but i also (laughs) think like again this this goes back to this reading where we have something where death is represented and can go either way yeah i got nothing i should have looked at your notes because you actually have the name of the shopkeeper aaron and and oh aaron deep no yeah yeah i was like deep no think about it think about it Mm. (laughs) um and a river riddle whoa yes and then that's what i'm saying so like we have things that are in this dream that are myth are like symbolic like you know and or answer a riddle but then at the same time we're about to actually reach a a river and i think that we're seeing with these um dream sequences that started off so sort of like disconnected and growing more and more connected and like more and more present and more and more overt in the way that it's describing literal things that are happening to each other that we see that we're like actually building towards something um like we're getting closer and closer to like an like an inflection point um yeah and and not to mention they're literally at this point now they used to just see through each other's eyes now they're literally communicating back and forth to the point where like jake 
injures himself in the dream and it carries over into the real world. Well, even when uh, uh, the key comes out for the first time, Eddie shows it to Susanna and Roland. Like they're, they already knew they were just waiting for him to come to the realization that he could show it to him. And yeah. so they're, they're in this, like, I don't know. Uh, you know how, when you work with, or you live with, or you're around someone for so long that you can reach over and pick out the drink that they would want, yeah. or you can accidentally finish their sentences. Yeah. That's, it feels like that's where the group is headed and well, I are mean, already there. Yeah, definitely. And that's, again, it comes back to the like psychic connection from like having been in, in each other's minds. Cause like, even though Eddie didn't go into Susanna, he looked through the door. So he's seen inside her mind, even if he hasn't physically gone into it. Got, so, got up, up up in that mind. Okay. Got all up in that business. So, um, okay, oh, so before we move on, let me just ask you what you think about, what do you think about the scrapes on Jake's knees? Like, I get it as a literary device. You know, like, I understand what that means is like, it really happened. Like, we've seen that. We've seen enough horror movies that we know you wake up from the dream sequence and your feet are all dirty. It means you're actually out in the woods doing whatever. But like, what do we think about it in terms of how this multiverse works? Like, are dreams of Ka, like, subconscious doorways? Like, could he potentially pass through worlds via dream? And if so... Why doesn't that, he? Why would that have been a lot easier? Yeah, well, <laughs> I was actually a little confused because Stephen King actually makes a, a point to explain, yeah, yeah, he got these cuts in the dream and now they followed him to the real world. But then why the business with the key and all these other things if he could just pass through to some other world and i mean when he's walking through the clearing i believe they even mentioned like this way to midworld like there's a sign that says like come on in you know <laughs> and so you're just like facepalm what you're like keep going kid keep going <laughs> i know and then uh, i don't know it's just I don't think that you're ever going to get any good explanation on no. that one either because it just is like this weird passing thing that got thrown in and then yeah. that's it. It's dropped. Well, that's what I was wondering. Like, is there a way we can speculate into making it work or is it just a literary device and we just have to like keep it moving? I wish I could. I, can, I, have, I don't have that much imagination, Rachel. I well, cannot, okay then, DJ. <laughs> I, cannot, I cannot bend this world so far as to say, like, yeah, the dreams are traveling portals because we've already established that there are actual portals. Yeah. Well, I mean, and we sh and there's one that actually is present in this dream, right? Yeah. Because he has, like, he sees the power, that weird power box that, like, yeah. that where Eddie had that first memory of Dutch Hill and, like, and, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, so me grasping at complete straws, uh, Shardik's clearing is a point of power because he is one of the guardians of the beam. Yeah. Uh, maybe during this time of his vivid dream, it's not a vivid dream at all. And Jake actually is passing into yet another reality where mm -hmm. he hurts his knees and then comes back out. He is holding the key at the time and Shardik's clearing is a point of power. So mm. the box may have been his portal in and he just blinked through it. Uh, that's but that's pretty stretchy yeah yeah, yeah. we are reaching <laughs> yeah. I, I think i think we're giving him stephen king too much credit on this one he just fucked up i think we just gotta like what is what are, what do they call it like hand wave you know like yeah it's like yeah, yeah yeah that that's how it worked <laughs> this is the the like learning an alien language in five seconds all over yeah. again so jake wakes up he's like kind of hanging out in his apartment sort of like on the fence about 
what he's going to do to like let his parents know that he's leaving because he sort of realizes that he's going to leave forever. And then I don't know, Rachel, did he take the gun? Because like he talks about his dad's gun for a, a couple yeah, of chapters and then he totally took it. Did he take it? OK, because I kind of got tired of the gun thing and it was just like, whatever. Your brain. Yeah. Check it. No. Yeah. hundred percent. He took the gun. Um, And like, actually, the thing with the gun is really interesting because I mean. I don't know if it's really interesting, but it stood out to me because, like, it's another example that, like, really illustrates the difference between Roland and Elmer. You know, like, his father has a gun, he has bullets, but, like, he basically just went and did target practice and then got bored of it. Mm -hmm. Whereas for Roland, it's, like, not just a tool, it's, like, this, you know, artifact. It's, like, this holy relic, and it's also, like, something he takes very seriously you know what I mean? Whereas it, it's not just like a um, affectation, like it is with with Elmer, and it's just yeah, again another point of difference between the two the two father figures. Hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't really think very much of it. I just kind of spaced well, you know it me. as it was happening. I can't help myself. <laughs> so he basically takes off from the apartment, apparently with it the is gun. Cold man. Well, he takes his dad's sunglasses and his and his um his gun and bullets and then like leaves them like the most cold like impersonal message ever <laughs> but it's kind of in on one hand i was like dang that's brutal but at the other time you know like i kind of like the idea of i like the sentiment of of like the um power of a chosen family over you know one that is necessarily blood related like sometimes your true family are people that you choose and you know that's true yay gay pride month Woo! <laughs> <laughs> it's just a good time of the year to to read that 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 section hmm. okay so he leaves the house so he set it off for uh what we believe is co-op city and uh i get a little confused when we jump back and forth here because i thought the next thing that happened was uh he he starts walking around and gets called out for being truant a couple times but uh yeah but i think that's further ahead so let me back up um so then we cut back apparently to uh uh, uh the whole group in yeah. midworld mm -hmm. uh, marching along towards what we believe to be an epic city off in the distance and uh this is i believe where we see the first uh Yay! billy bumbler um, <laughs> and i had missed the whole golden eye corkscrew tail until what? yeah until i had heard it again like i just for some reason, it's just like when you ask me to describe a, a person's face, I have this visualization of them that is almost nothing like what is actually in the movie or wherever. And, and a lot of these Stephen King descriptions, I kind of just blew past and like had my oh. own vision of what the creature was. I almost – you're going to make fun of me for this and think I'm kind of weird. But uh, I, when <laughs> I was remembering Billy Bumbler, I was almost thinking of like a hairy Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> what i know i that know that is wild i know and like i'm just like for some reason what? you know anytime there's a description i just ignored it and put my own thing in there oh my god <laughs> the dj Raymox mix on that one is so dark I, I, and so yeah so anyway i mean as someone who loves dogs as much as you do i would imagine that like this has got to be a relief right like it's much more dog adjacent than yeah no, yeah no, like a naboo resident like <laughs> <laughs> i know when i when I, I i like i had to stop for a second be like well wait what and then like i'm like uh, oh the small <sighs> little uh, you know 
I, I won't describe it. I just picture them like a chunky monkeys, like uh, like kind of bumbling around with their corkscrew tail. They're so freaking cute. Oh, I want a <laughs> Billy Bumbler. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Roland tells the crew that those aren't very good to eat. So don't you know? Don't worry about those. But uh, for whatever reason, and I, I think this is maybe a banana leaf wrapped meat sausage thing that they're calling a gunslinger burrito. <laughs> Which, I mean, I, these have a little touches that make me, like, love Eddie. You know, like, only Eddie would come up with Gunslinger Burrito. <laughs> <sighs> Eddie. And and so they're they're talking about, like, the, the city up there. And Eddie starts to daydream that maybe the city still has people in it. Possibly mm-hmm. regular mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. the people of New nope. York. Nope. And he starts, like, really getting Wait. specific. No, not yet. Oh, no. not yet? Oh, no, dang. no. This is where they finally, um, they ask him about his... They ask him about carving and, like, he, you know, okay, sorry. This is where they ask him about uh, carving the key and he opens up with them a little bit about it. And he, because he's kind of opening up about the key, like, Susanna takes this opportunity to be like, dude, I know you're having dreams at night. What are you dreaming about? And Eddie tells them about the dream they had about um, uh, about Jake where he's, like, playing basketball in this clearing and he's remembering Henry – the time he got Henry to take him to Dutch Hill, this, like, creepy haunted mansion, mm-hmm. um, at which he's been thinking about ever since that he put his ear to that box in Shardock's clearing. Um, he also, in the dream, tells them, like, I'm seeing this kid um, who, who wasn't there that day, but now – you know, I have this memory of him and I'm telling him like that he needs to not, he needs to act like we're, you know, he needs to he not let us see him and we have to act like he's not there. And he kind of comes to the conclusion that what he's dreaming about are actually new memories being formed because it's what is actually happening to Jake in his time. Okay, yeah. you're doing better than I am. I kind of I lose my train of thought when we get to this like mysticky stuff. Yeah. Well, the other thing he learns or he realizes is that um, he like basically Roland kind of is like, "Do you think he also has a key?" And Eddie's like, "Yeah." The thing is, is he doesn't realize that I have a key, and if I don't get it perfect, it's not going to work. And that actually took me back to the the thing with the river, um, in that. Like, there's so many, like, coincidences, right? And, like, there's – that I think King is doing on purpose. And in this case, like, the – in the dream, he tells him about the river being the answer to the riddle. But like the riddle, the keys actually need two parts in order to be complete, right? Oh. So the riddle, in order to be answered, has to have two – to be fully answered, it has to have – have two parts. And it's either fully answered or it's not. And these keys either work or they don't. And so it's kind of another one of those, like – Interesting oh, that's good. I didn't, I didn't pick up on that at all. Oh, well, well there you go. Good, good job, Rachel. <laughs> this, this is what happens when you read a little bit, bounce around, and then read a little bit more, and then bounce around. I, I So I, I know it's – and I actually – that pad review, I kind of agree sometimes. You are the one who's good at following these bounce back and forth chapters. <laughs> Well, it's because I write the synopsis. Do you think if I just did it off memory, I would be any better? Hell no. I I get so confused when they're (laughs) bouncing around because, like, I thought it was on the thread, and then, like, immediately I jump off the thread onto something else. The good news is, is if all goes well in the clearing with the keys, there will be no more bouncing back and forth. (laughs) 
Um, all right, so I'm going to uh, use your synopsis as a key this time. Yeah! <laughs> so uh, they continue heading up the road, and uh, they notice some uh, – Roland starts to notice some stuff uh, from Jake's dream. Why does Roland notice it? Wait, wait. He ro- notices something off the road, which it turns out it's that marker that says, like, beyond here lies Oh, lies mid- Okay. Yes. And so that's why I'm saying, like, things from his dreams have stopped being – like, there hasn't been a lot of, like, breathing room between them, and they haven't been as obscure. Like, they are directly, they're seeing the exact same things, which is why I say I feel like we are, like, moving towards, like, something. Like, things are coming together. They're falling into place. They're becoming clearer. Like, yeah. And now I can say that this is where Eddie starts to think about the city. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I believe he even has, like, a little bit of a taste for heroin bouncing around in the back of his mind. He's just thinks like maybe a little bit would help, you know, or just just a touch. Right. And I, so this is where you start to feel like his brother's um, almost like devil uh, over his shoulder. Yeah. Hanging with him, like sort of almost still manipulating Eddie at this time. And, yeah. and, and we'll get a little bit more on that as we finish up this, this particular section. But – Roland kind of is like, well, or monsters, you know, like, and it kind of reverts back to the people under the mountain, you know, the, like the slow mutants and so on. Mm -hmm. And and so it's kind of sad, but also this is the part where I, I, I want to throw this out there and ask you, Rachel, because obviously this is more of a you chapter than me. Um, Is the city that they're heading towards a rotten version of New York? From the future? You know, when I used to read these books, like, originally, and I was, like, a teenager, I, I always kind of assumed that was the case. I don't know, because I always... Because I well, we have don't... this whole time travel, other worlds, yeah. and then, like, they're heading towards a major metropolitan area at the same time as Jake is trying to find a place to go in a major metropolitan area. Yeah. I and don't it, know. Like, I it's... kind of... I, I don't know if it's, like... I, I I used to think it was it was time, but I now think it's actually just mirrors, right? So like, oh, like the is, song, the Beatles song in one iteration of the world, and and the Beatles song in the exactly, other. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So I think what this is is this is this world's version of New York, and the reason it's in ruins is because the different ways that like things have up. transpired transpired. Yeah, I don't think it's actually time. Okay. Which is what I I used to. Totally. And then the other deep question as a follow-up to that, does that mean that all the other worlds than these are on different time schedules, not related to each other in their eras and, and uh, position in the like history of humanity? I think time is not linear. I think it I think they all kind of work on their own time schedules. Okay. So like I don't, I think, yeah, like I think you're a physics person. So well, I think. Uh, so I sort of, I, I originally, when I visualized this, I visualized it like sliders. Yeah. Where, where like a, a point in time in one universe was the point, the same point in time in another universe. Right. And that those all coexisted simultaneously. And then I, I thought that the beam allowed you to travel only between those worlds but not between time itself well who's but to then say that it ha- didn't used to be sliders style and because of the like 
the way the world has war- moved on and the attack on the arose and the beam weakening of the beams like maybe they're slipping out of time like a busted clock okay and then then that would explain the drawing of the three and the ability for Roland to like walk through time right yes yes okay. and also it explains why there are things like where Roland talks about how distances are growing and time is expanding things like that if you imagine uh... like the clock is broken and like the gears are falling out of slipping. So out of place. then time would be relative to the closeness to the center, which is the dark tower. And the further out you go, time's relativity, relativity stays the same for the people um, subjected to it, but different maybe compared to its subjectors. And depending on what, like, like what, part, if you're close to the beam that is still there. Hmm. Okay, that was sorry. That was a deep dive, but I just no, wanted... no, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, these are totally legit questions, and they're things that, like, to be honest, like it's a journey that I kind of went on too because I took it as like I oh when I was younger, I didn't totally like that palaver did not connect. It was like so out there that like I didn't understand. I was just like, oh, cool visuals, whatever. <laughs> so like I totally was like, oh, that's New York in the future, like post-apocalyptic New York. And it is a post-apocalyptic New York. It's just maybe not our post-apocalyptic. Well, and New York. I end up retreading this time thing over and over again because, you know, when he's sitting in the circle with the man in black, like time doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Right. And in in these traveling through the doors, time doesn't really make any sense. And in this case Time still sort of doesn't make any sense. Is there like a physicist in our listeners who would come on the show and explain to us how time works? <laughs> oh, that, well, I mean, it, it would it would almost be how does time work with the overarching idea of the yeah, you know yeah, the dark yeah, tower yeah. universe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't I don't know if uh, Stephen King ever provides us with enough scientific information to posit what's going on because the beam and the dark tower kind of become this black box of magic. Yeah. As we move forward. I mean, but they're also physical things. I know, but how, how would you hang your, your physics hat on? I mean, physics Mm. is about matter too, right? (laughs) Yeah. We got to get to the heart of the matter. Uh... (laughs) Uh, Okay, so that's a good spot to transition on. Yeah. Um, so they keep moving down the path. They see some more uh, Billy Bumblers and some deserted buildings and so on. And uh, this is where Eddie starts to kind of explain his fears of the S on the end of the key and whether or not he can actually get it correct. And this starts to like weigh on him in a way that y- you wouldn't expect. He, he almost starts to kind of... Mm-hmm. get freaked out and really concerned about his abilities as not and it's almost not just a doubt of his abilities to carve that piece of wood but also his abilities as a as a person as a capable gunslinger and so on like he's starting to fall apart a little bit and the the thinking about the taste of heroin is sort of the the a notch in the belt for that one it's like yeah. you're going to you're going to revert back to that buddy like you've grown so much as a character and now you're gonna you're thinking about going back to square one cycles cycles Mm. of growth cycles Mm -hmm. of trauma returning (laughs) to old traumas to work through it like it's it's all here it's all the same reason he's going back to heroin 
uh, as a crutch is the same reason that like we're spending so much time focused on these kids the them as kids and the trauma that they experience because like all of this in order for them to be able to like work it out they got to figure out like, they have to do a lot of personal growth which means going back and like digging at the source of these issues yeah that's um, true so, I will say before we go too far, like, I love this part, not just because of the, like, psychological stuff, which we all know I like, but <laughs> this also gets at the, like, sense of wonder that I always felt around the series when they, like, crest this hill and we get our first, I don't, am I getting ahead of us? No, no, you're you're fine. Okay. I mean, you're you're jumping into four, 14 and 15, I think, but that's Okay, fine. but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll save it then. Sorry, sorry. I'd just say that, like... Seeing the city for the first time was a big deal when I read it the first time, and it still resonates today. But I'll talk about more about it when we get to that section. Sorry. I'm totally DJing it up right now. <laughs> you, you, you gotta train yourself to stay on track, Rachel. Yeah, sorry. I know. I know. See, I need to go back to my childhood trauma of when I couldn't stay on track and work it out <laughs> so that I can do it here today. <laughs> All right. So cu- cutting back to um, New York City with Jake, uh, Jake is like – kind of wandering around the city and he makes his way into an art museum before he can catch the train that'll take him over to uh, um, co-op city. And he's like, he kind of like just wanders around. And uh, I didn't realize that truant laws were such a, a big thing growing up in a small town. So it was, this section always caught me off guard when people were like, what are you doing up here, kid? What are you doing over here, kid? Shouldn't you be in school? And so Jake's upstairs, like looking at some paintings and he gets called out by one of the um, people wandering around the museum. I think it's a teacher. And, and she's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, Oh, my class is downstairs looking at modern art, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't like it. So I came up here. And this is where uh, Jake like ends up taking a page out of Eddie's book and using a couple of his his um, uh, random sayings to like kind of get out of trouble. And it's sort of as though – well, it is as though these are coming to Jake without him even thinking about it. Well, once he touches the key. Yeah, that's true. So that's probably the Bond thing again. Well, Um, I think it's – yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Uh, Feel free to go deeper. I'm getting ahead of myself. You continue, sir. Okay. So, although he does reference Marquee Academy, which yeah, is and, like, yeah, and he just comes like she asks what school he's going to, and he just like randomly blurts out Marquee Academy, and then she he says, "I guess I'm taking French leave." Which right. okay, so hold on, can you explain that to me because I don't get it. Sure. Okay, so Marquee, the Marquee thing is a reference to the fact that in the dream, um. Even though he doesn't know it, the playground that they're on is called Marquee Avenue Playground. Oh, okay. And then what about the uh, French, French leave? leave? French leave is like slang for like leaving without telling your superior that you've left. So like, it's, it's like kind of being an abandoned wall. post? Yeah, kind of. Okay. <laughs> it's not like a real flattering thing to say about the French. <laughs> okay. But like basically that they, they, they go AWOL is basically the, the idea. Um, like have you ever heard of like an Irish goodbye? No. It's where you like leave a party without saying anything to anyone. You just disappear. You ghost them. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. But like uh, when you're leaving without telling like your like it's like leaving work early without telling your boss you're going. You're going on French leave. What? Okay. All right. So I've never got the French leave thing. So it wasn't funny to me. But then the teacher like laughs and is like, you know, they they shot soldiers for that. (laughs) And you're like, dang, this took a turn. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, Jake's, like, fine. So he, he wanders off again and, like, uh, heads outside. And 
and he decides to sit down and like eat his snack. And pretty soon, like a police officer comes rolling up and is like, "Where are you? What are you doing out here?" He says, "You know, I finished my finals and I'm out here for the rest of the day. Like, what school are you going to?" And he's never heard of that school, you know. And then like, it's kind of funny. There's like a homeless guy, I guess, in the background, like uh, uh, hassling. <laughs> Yeah. Like, throw him in jail copper throw him in jail get rid of this guy like yeah. toss him to the wind you know and it's so, so, like it's sort of this comedic thing where like yeah jake's like well why aren't you doing something about that that d-bag over there and like that guy's like ah get him get him and, and the officer like tells that other guy to, to piss off and then all of a sudden jake is like fumbling for his bowling id gets out the key <laughs> and the entire um well not just the police officer, but like people just start to like, it's almost like, um, uh, uh, bugs to a bug zapper. Like they all just start staring at the glistening key in his hand and, and stop and sort of forget everything around them in the world. And are just mesmerized by it. Yeah. And Jake takes this opportunity of like key stunning to just be like, all right, am I good? And they're like, yeah, we're, you're good. And then he just runs off. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. It's so weird. Yeah, it's super weird. And I thought it was interesting that, like, when Jake is um, kind of in a situation where he's, like, confused and he touches the key, it clears his mind. Yeah. When other people see the key, they get... it clouds their mind. It's like the shadow. It's like magical Ritalin. Like, if you if you have ADHD, it, like, makes you calm. But, like, if you don't, then you get hyper. And, like, it's sort of like if, if you are in the path of Ka, the key will calm you. But if not, it will hypnotize you. So he gets – he escapes from the crowd and, like, runs off, and then he ru- – oh, wait, wait, actually. He, he doesn't run into the old man yet. I'm sorry. That, we bounce around again, don't we? Uh, well, we go back to Roland and the gang, um, which is what – this is the part where I got ahead of us, and they crest the hill and see the city for the first time. And we get, like, our first weird, like, sexist comment from Stephen King in this section what? where, like, he describes – Susanna seeing the city and he's like for the first time in her life as a woman she was completely speechless what the fuck what? Stephen King <laughs> like I mean obviously I'm maybe a little sensitive because I know some things that are coming down the pike but I was just like what does that mean <laughs> I mean I get it I'm a chatty lady but uh, the other thing when you mentioned the uh, uh, Stephen King being a little bit like um sort of being womanizing or not womanizing uh sexist sexist. he he also goes on this little tirade where it's like um susanna is having this internal dialogue with herself where she likes it in this world where you know she can have uh, a a white boyfriend that just got his like monkey off of his back and no one's making fun of her and even though she doesn't have any legs like she has her three friends and her world is complete and she doesn't want to go back to the other world I, i thought that was kind of a a weird tirade that I wasn't expecting. Well, I do think it's interesting that we get all three of their different reactions when they see the city. And for mm-hmm. her, her response is like a little bit of homesickness, but then like a realization that she kind of has. That she doesn't belong. She doesn't belong in New York, but like what she has here. She couldn't have what she has here in New York. And so she's like gra- has gratitude for that. And then Roland is just like filled with amazement because he sees the Send River and like and Eddie, like, what is, I think Eddie, like, oh, Eddie starts, like, getting excited. Like, he sees adventure. He sees, like, he falls into these ideas of, like, wanting there to be, like, magical, wise elves that are gonna, like, 
tell them where to go. And to be honest, I kind of as annoyed as I was by the like Susanna part of this, I kind of love because I I sort of feel like this is Stephen King saying like, you know, like he's or I think Eddie is kind of the voice of the reader, right? So like he's creating these tropes of a fantasy epic, like. This well, is he where even we get lists two movies, doesn't he? Um, I, they're escaping me right now, but I'm pretty sure he's like, yeah, we'll find the guy and he'll tell us what to do, just like in this movie and this movie. Right. I immediately thought of like um Zelda, like when you go and you get your sword, it's like it's dangerous out there. Take this sword. Like I imagine that guy, like is what he's <laughs> hoping will be inside the city, and I I feel like it's King saying like, nope. <laughs> this is not that kind of story like you know you and eddie are both thinking like oh we're gonna get in this is the part where we get like our our you know the dungeon master steps in and starts like setting your quest for you but that's like not what this is gonna be um <laughs> but yeah i mean I, I personally have more of an eddie response like i said i felt like a sense of wonder the first time i read this especially like when they started getting closer um you know those are like big moments from the series that i remember and like very that I, I have very like clear vivid memories of this part so i got very excited at the first sighting of the city um but yeah but of course in typical stephen king fashion like he shows us this amazing city and gets us all hype and then immediately diverts us to a different location instead <laughs> so he is such a freaking tease <laughs> so they could continue walking and suddenly they end up with a familiar clearing uh that was from uh the dream that jake had earlier and yes. this is where eddie basically like breaks down and Roland realizes that Eddie has been harboring this fear of finishing the key this entire time. And, and, and he even says like, you've forgotten the face of your father. He slaps Eddie around and Eddie is like, what do you want from me? You've taken everything, everything I have. And, and, and then like miraculously after like being basically a, a whiny uh, little is it okay to say a little girl about this? Because I don't want to. I don't love it, but okay. What's, what what would be the uh, uh, woke version? A whiny of... baby. A like whiny he's baby. Being a huge, like fragile, like fragile. He's being a prima baby. donna. How's that? He, still not great. No. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm actually so edified by the fact that you are as grossed out by Eddie's behavior in this section as I was. I love Eddie. The Eddie of this section is unbearable to me. I know. It's like, what are you doing, dude? Like, get out of it. And, like, the he slaps – Roland slaps him so hard that it sounds like a chair cracking. It's like, yeah, that'll teach you, buddy. And then, like, suddenly out of the blue, like, as though that, like, hit to Eddie's face was enough, uh, he finds his center and realizes what has come over him. And it's the panic – that his brother is induced in him in yeah. in previous sections. That same like you're never going to succeed. You can't do this. You're not. Uh, you're not capable. People are just going to make fun of you. That panic is almost manifested itself in his brother's doing? presence in his mind. Yeah. Or am I thinking wrong? No, you're totally right. And when you put it like that, I do have a little more empathy for him. I feel honestly, I have to be honest. Like. A big part of why I think this part portion, this section irritates the shit out of me is for is based on foreknowledge and like yeah knowing what is to come and that we're spending so much time like worrying about and taking care of Eddie's emotional needs, knowing 
who the toll is going to take on another character and that we're like completely not even addressing those <laughs> kind like I don't feel like there's any build up for that and but we're spending like an enormous amount of time like coddling this person who's having a nervous breakdown it just I like I just want him to suck it the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> But I, like I said, again, this is like, it's an unfair criticism on my part. And like, I own that because I know things, having read the book before, things that make this especially irritating to me. And like, I, like I go back to this, like, kind of like. You can't unsee. Yeah. I'm oh yeah. Like that is a traumatizing thing that's coming up that I really, really, it's like the one thing about this book that I really, really dislike a lot. Um we'll talk about it when we get there but uh, <laughs> but like so no that is definitely like a a factor and why the first time i listened to it i like i found myself rolling my eyes and just like what is this like melodrama that's playing out and so but then i was like oh you know like i was maybe tired that day so i listened to it again today and i had the same exact response like i just i don't feel like of all the like kind of melodramatic moments that happen in this book, I don't feel like this one is especially earned or well set up. Like it's such a weird pivot. Well, so it, it, the degree I'll... to which he like here's the thing is it's it's that it's not that I don't understand like when you were talking about like the the you know all of the insecurity and stuff that was like drilled into him from childhood and like the horrific childhood that he went through with with Henry like mm-hmm. all of that is totally solid. I guess what I'm saying is like this moment where it becomes like this, he's collapsing on the ground and tripping over himself and Roland is slapping him and looking him in his eyes and daring him to kill him. I'm like, what? This is a lot of, this is a lot of emotion. This is a lot of drama for something you've already like, you've already addressed most of these issues previously and had the same sort of breakdown. Do you need to have the same breakdown again? A more powerful version of this that is much quieter. You know what I mean? Like the, I think the melodrama of it. Like they could have written it, it so land. that it was like fear of failure. Uh, I've I've forgotten the face of my father, and then Roland comes up and hand to shoulder, you know, says, "You've got this, Eddie." If he had like an ounce of stoicism through the scene, I think I would be more sympathetic to it. But just like the total collapse of like his, like this, the fragility of Eddie, like just. But like so, I, I don't want to like fall into like toxic masculine tropes no. where like, men can't have emotion and violence is the only way that they can express it. Like I'm not trying to to be I'm not trying to perpetuate those ideas. But like I just don't feel like this is earned. I don't know. I don't know. I'm having my own internal like personal like political existential crisis over this. So just so, look away. Look away. Don't look at me. So to play the <laughs> other side, I'm going to tell you that. The wood carving thing has been a scary thing for him since yeah. the very beginning. The, the moment he You're started right. to do any kind of sissy girly wood carving, quote unquote, his brother, it, he has started to basically reawaken and tear open the wound of That's his fair. brother's constant torture. Now – you kicked heroin and you, you know, shot a bunch of people in your birthday suit. And then like, this is what tears you down. It, it is counterintuitive. However, it may be pointing to the fact that emotional scars are much more detrimental than physical scars. Which is true. I mean, I, I honestly, I, I want you to talk me into not being annoyed by this because I'd much rather like buy in and love it. Well, to, 
So my talking you in is basically saying, look, this has actually been a buildup for yeah. the last, I don't know, you know, most of the book, basically. <laughs> it, like, it starts out with him being afraid to let anybody know that he's carving stuff, him being concealed about it. Every time wood carving comes up, it's his brother making fun of him, and it's his brother telling him he's not good enough and he can't do it. And that continues to be a trope through this until it culminates in this breakdown now yeah. is the breakdown a little ridiculous and silly yeah i, I agree with you it yeah. is it's a little over yeah. the top but is it unwarranted well he did spend a lot of stephen king okay. spent a lot of time building it up so uh, this is the volcano explosion of his like little brother syndrome basically through the last however many chapters yeah, I think I'm willing to meet you halfway. I think my issue is execution. I do think that Eddie is a very well-developed character. And, like, I can understand the, like, pathos underneath it. I mm. just think maybe the over-the-top, like, extreme thing paired with foreknowledge is, is which is poisoning my, my feelings about this. Like, you know, maybe I'm missing some, like, subtle stuff here, and I would really welcome people explaining to me why I'm wrong on this, because I'd actually really like to be wrong about it. I'd love to just, like, blanket love Eddie, but this scene, I was just like, ugh, I think it, the problem is, is it's too, it's a little out of order. Yeah. If we would have had this happen, maybe, you know, um, six more subsections of chapter three further yeah. advanced yeah yeah it would have been a lot more poignant like, yeah and i don't want to go on past where we stopped for today i think you're i think you, you're 100 percent right like the stakes are like he just not saw the circle like the stakes have not been built in a way that like having someone exactly. crumble to this extreme and yeah. have roland's response be so like shut it down harsh um, you almost need i don't know maybe a uh time travel back to when <laughs> Eddie and his brother were kids and things were going sideways. And then you do this. Uh, I think, just, you know, putting something out there theoretically. Okay. You know what? I'm going to, I, I like that explanation. I think maybe you're right. Like if this came later in the sections when things are like really on and popping, like it would have, would not have felt so out of place and so self-indulgent. There you go. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. So overall, what did you think of this section? Um, so as usual, I, I like the action pack sections a little more than the deep thinking sections. There's some good stuff in here. I, mm -hmm. I do like the, the, uh, witty Jake and the key and the, the psychic links. Okay. Uh, some of the fun references to Shardik the bear, which uh, is a character I always wish was in yeah. this a lot more. And of course our favorite Billy Bumbler characters <laughs> yeah. is starting to show up, which uh, I won't go any further than that, but to say that they uh, are loved. And, I do. And so, you know, uh, it's good. Um, it's not my favorite chapter, but uh, or favorite section, but yeah. it, it gets better from here, I remember. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you, like, that maybe this isn't the most exciting section, but, like, I feel, I can feel us building. I can feel, like, 
things coming together. I can feel like tension and stakes ratcheting up. Um, and I could feel momentum, which is exciting. Um, <laughs> I also, like I said, we got our first glimpse of the city, which is a big deal to me. And I get very, like, it's, it's all the things I love about open world games, right? Like when you crest the hill and you're like, oh, so much to explore, adventure ahead. Like it does like tickle that part of my brain. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, this is the book I think, I mean, I remember being my favorite and, and so far so good. I'm loving it and I'm excited for Everything except for one thing coming. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Okay, so for those of you reading along with us or listening along with us, in the case of one very nice reviewer, um, for the next section, we are going to be covering The Wastelands Book 1, Jake, Fear and a Handful of Dust, Chapter 3, Door and Demon, Section 16 through 25, which is about an hour's worth of audiobook if that's what you're you're doing. Could we get shorter titles from these? I know this is absurd. I need to like look and see what the like uh what the titles look like for the next book for Wizard and Glass. I wonder if there is insane. It just <gasps> it, at some point like you're like, come <gasps> on, man. I know, and also like when I'm like I figuring out how to write them in a way that makes sense on the like image for the <laughs> oh man for the episode. I'm like I oh, oh word here. vomit every time. Yeah, pretty much. Uh. <sighs> Awesome. Okay, so we don't have any Stephen King um, universe connections this time, unfortunately. At least not that I picked up. I think maybe the River Send might show up somewhere else. I need to do a little more research, but if that's the case, then we'll talk about it on the next episode, because that river ain't going nowhere. Um, (laughs) But we do have some, like, Stephen King movie adaptation-y kind of news, if you have time to do that, or I don't know if you're starving. Uh, We're starting to roll into my dinner break rachel so can we save the movie news for next time sure yeah all right well then we'll save we'll we'll definitely we've got some stories for next time and we will go in depth on those on the next episode in that case all right so if we're wrapping up why don't you tell me where people can find you on the internet if they just need some more dj well i'm sorry to say folks but i'm starting to dry up on the internet as i have so much regular life to live uh but you can still find me on youtube uh one lone dork and uh dsr film noob uh, there is still a DSLR Film Noob site. However, I believe it has been uh, slowly degraded into a, a mess. <laughs> uh, if you want some more of me on the internet, you can find me on the Zombie Girls podcast where we talk about horror from a feminist perspective. Um, we also have a little fun podcast called The String Queens where me and a friend basically just talk about horror movies that you can stream on the internet. And like that one's definitely more of an easy breezy, like straight up review kind of goofy show. Also, uh, this week I got to be a guest on another podcast. I reviewed the movie Midsummer, the new Ari Aster joint, uh, on the Here's Johnny podcast. Which uh, we had. If these pod, if this podcast isn't long enough for you, that one definitely will. We talked about the movie for like three hours and barely <laughs> scratched the surface. Um, but we had a really, really great conversation. I had a lot of fun, um, and those guys are really great. So if you want some more of all of these opinions, definitely head over to the Here's Johnny podcast and check out that review. Any feedback, send us an email at castofpodzombiegirls.com or join our Facebook group and chat with us there. And if you like the show, leave us a review. If you don't like the show, leave us a review as well, but we prefer the good ones. <laughs> All right, DJ, take us out. As always, thanks for listening to another exciting episode of Cast of Ka, where Rachel and I continue to car our way through the Stephen King universe. We look forward to your dark castle rising from the ashes.
everybody.